So what's this, you might be asking yourself? An episode dropping in the middle of the month? Well, let me tell you why. A couple of months ago, we recorded a special episode just for our Patreon subscribers about a book called The Product Management Toolkit by Mark Abraham. And it was our longest episode ever. It ran over an hour and a half. We had a great deal of fun doing it in the studio. And Justina has asked me to put together an abbreviated version just for our listeners out there, for, for the entire audience, for two reasons, really. It's, it's half promo, half teaser. It's a teaser for the kind of things that we do for our Patreon subscribers. And if you like more of us and if you like more of this, then, then just tossing a little money our way is, is, will give you access to all of the special episodes we do for our Patreon subscribers. And it is a promo because Mark Abraham is going to be speaking at the ACE conference on May 18th and 19th in Krakow, Poland. And it, there's still time to get, get tickets. It's a beautiful time to visit Krakow, Poland. The middle of May is, is usually sunny and warm. The city's beautiful. Everything's in bloom. And, and we'd love to meet you face-to-face. In fact, we're going to be recording a special episode, a live episode of the podcast at the conference as well. So if you want to see how, how we do that, then, then come join us at the ACE conference. And, uh, and you can even ask questions during a live interview of the Agile Book Club podcast. So here it is. Here is an hour and a half episode chopped down to 20 minutes. If you like it, join our Patreon and, and you can listen to the whole thing, as well as many, many others. Houston and I both do a lot of reading we don't talk about on the podcast. And, and I'm, I'm not just talking about my erotica addiction, but... <laughs> or poetry, but poetry I love sharing with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but we've been doing a lot, of, a lot of reading in our space. And one of them, one of the books we decided to read together is called My Product Management Toolkit by Mark Abraham. And uh, so we decided to just do a whole episode just for you. And, uh, and, and um, we, we hope you enjoy it. Can I, can I yeah. kick, kick off this one? Because I, I gave yeah, the elevator pitch some thought. I, I don't want to say that this is like the must read for the newbie, because mm-hmm. that's still inspired. Inspired by yeah. Marty Kagan is the must read for the newbie. This would be an excellent second book because it really introduces the concept of the toolkit and a really, I won't say comprehensive, it, 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 it covers the problem spaces that product people deal with pretty comprehensively, but it's one person's toolkit. So for every single one of these, these challenges, for every single one of these, these things that, that, that the author does, that Mark does, He's got one or two or three go-to tools, but they're not all there is. And so for that reason, I think it's, it's a really useful, useful book. Um, the second thing that I think he does, which is really nice, and in addition to bringing some of his experiences from, from using these tools, is in a lot of cases, the original books about some of these tools are very theoretical. And he puts a lot of effort into creating concrete examples and and there are a lot of really great stories and a lot of really great concrete examples of tools that you might have come across, but but if you haven't used them before, you wouldn't know what they actually look like mm. in practice. And he does that well. So that's the reason why I would pitch it to that particular audience. It was interesting to compare my toolkit with his toolkit, because I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. I knew about it. I never used it. 
or I forgot about it. Yes, it was not nice for the comparison. And also I really liked it because of the structure. So it showed me also that there are the things that I forgot about. And now I just came back to like dig a little bit more. So I used the book a little bit more as a catalog and just to see what I have, what he has. So my first takeaway is from the beginning of the book, because what he's saying is the definition of who is actually the product manager. And he says that it's the person who works on the intersection of technology, business and design. And that's the similar definition that Marty, Marty Kagan shows in his book. But if you didn't read that book, you would be like, Ah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And then he goes a little bit more into the definitions. And I loved one that really made me laugh because he says, what is the difference between building the product and building the service? And he says, if you are building the product, you are building the hammer. Yeah. So the hammer that people can use for whatever. Yeah. But if you are delivering the service, you are delivering the hammering, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that the thing that your nail will be in your wall. And I know that it sounds so simplistic, you know, I know it's so easy, but I found so many situations in my work where people did know, didn't know it, if they work in the product company or if they work in the service company. And now I just have like a very simple metaphor that I think everyone can understand. Are we building hammer? Or are we delivering uh, the service that enable people to have pictures in their frames on the walls? And then a step farther that he also uh, says is that if you are the product manager, your goal is not to have the wish list of all of the cool features. It's not like collecting, you know, Pokemons that you have to have, you know, more and more features. But your goal is to create, is to curate the process of choosing the right features. Yeah, in, indeed. I think um, that, that, and now that's jumping much further in the book when you get to uh, a wonderful section on how to say no. He's, he's got practically a whole chapter on how to say no to stakeholders. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to have a challenging time trying to, to, to s- distinguish and separate between my favorite quotations and, and my key takeaways in this, because some of my, my, my key takeaways were, were much better written in his own words in my favorite quotations. But, um, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But, um, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> One of my favorite quotations relevant to exactly that is, quote, product management is not like Christmas. I... It is not about customers giving you their wish lists, and you are not Father Christmas. And by the same token, this happens, I, I see this so much in organizations, and this is one of the things that, that, that I talk about when I'm talking to, to leaders a lot. The way I like to express it to, to product leaders or, or, or C, C-suite executives is, if you tell your product managers what to do, they'll do it. Because it's safer than doing their job. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if the CEO or, or, or the, the, the director of product or, or the, the chief product officer tells some product manager, build me feature B. There is no career risk to building feature B, no matter how stupid an idea it is. You will never get fired for doing what you're told. Mm-hmm. It's extremely dangerous. But it's also a formula for, for building a mediocre product. The product manager should be the person who is the closest to the customer's problem space. 
And if they really are, if they have a deep understanding of the customer's problem space and they have a deep understanding of the business needs and how the business makes money, then no matter how powerful a person is, when they say, build me feature B, the product manager should be able to say, okay, worst case, no. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, he, he says why that can be, be career damaging. But best case, interesting. So you want feature B. What are your thoughts? And and he gives some example scenarios like, what are your thoughts? Why 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 feature mm-hmm. B? And and the the senior person says, we just came out of out of a a meeting with 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 this big client, and they said that they would love feature B. Well, that's really interesting. And what do you think would happen if we build feature B? Well, this client would be really happy. Okay, and and how much of our business does that client? constitute well there are single big, biggest clients that they, they make up five percent of our total user base interesting and how do you think the other 95 percent of our user base would respond to this feature well they probably wouldn't find it terribly useful because it, it really is pretty specific to this client interesting do you think it might actually negatively affect their their experience to have this this feature right there in front of them all the time that they have no use for Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that, that, that might be the case. And and this feature would also be adding more technical debt and, and support costs as well. Do you think the technical debt support costs and and the dissatisfaction with the other 95% of our users would justify giving this, this feature to these 5% of the users? You know, it's really interesting you bring that up. Maybe Maybe we should rethink this a little bit. That's how you say no to a senior person. But you can't do it if you don't thoroughly understand the business and thoroughly understand your customers. So, Paul, for, for what you've been just saying, uh, that it's a bit connected with my takeaway, which was like, what makes a good product manager? And the first thing that he says, it's like, you have to be customer focused. And I really liked because he quotes the, the CEO of Drift, who says, when you spend more time talking to your internal stakeholders than your customers, you have already lost your ship. And I think like that's exactly what you've been saying, that it means yeah, that you build the product for your own stakeholders rather than for people. And there was also one funny thing in this part of the book when he says, if you call your customers stupid or morons or whatever bad words you would use, remember, she can be your wife. She could be her grandma, you know, so never offend your customers. He, he puts there like this part of the book because, you know, so often we hear teams that are complaining about the customers because they don't get it. Yeah. This user doesn't understand. It proves nothing, you know. <laughs> and now I just think like whenever I will hear that to make team a little bit more customer centric, a little bit more empathic, I think that I would just tell them, hmm, that customer could be your boyfriend. Yeah. I think that that can really change the perspective. In the beginning of the elevator pitch, you also mentioned that you liked that it's really the toolkit that shows how to do some things. And I found it very useful for everyone who might feel a little bit afraid of doing the user interview or for everyone who thinks like, oh my God, we need to have the budget for time for that and a lot of time and you know all of those things. He puts in this chapter a very simple checklist, like what do you have to do for the user interview? So first he says, 
You have to know why you do the interview. Yeah? So what's the reason? You have to avoid leading questions, have open questions, avoid the questions that would be like, oh, why do you like that Ferrari? Yeah? Why do you think that Tesla is horrible? As simple as that. You have to try to maybe combine the interview with the prototypes because then you have like two in the price of one and you have to just listen, reflect and probe. As simple as that. Mm -hmm. And on the top of that, he also provides the checklist of uh, some logistic, what you have to do. Because he says, okay, first decide who are your customers, yeah? Because if you, if your customers are teenagers and you talk with your mom and your aunts and everyone, great, really, kudos for trying to run your first interviews, <laughs> but maybe don't trust their data so much. Second, he says, like, okay, be very aware of all of the logistics because people might feel, might feel stressed if they don't know. Will it be in Zoom? Will it be you know, in Google Meet? Will it be in person? Yeah. How it's going to look like? So give them the setting before you even invite them so they can already feel comfortable by knowing how it's going to look like. Then also provide them the details, tell them about the time box so they know that it's not going to take, you know, half day or if it's going to take a half day, Tell them before, yeah, so they can actually accommodate for that. But I think the f the best thing that he said in this part was to provide a comfortable space, avoid the laboratory setting, because if you are going to run the interview and put five people to watch this one person to touch the prototype and make it as clear and clean as possible, people will feel like in the in the laboratory. And that's exactly what was my experience with this doctor, because she says, I see immediately with patients when they come and they see the microphone, they start perform. They don't talk like they're not really would tell. And I have to tell them, please talk normally. No one is watching here, no. And it's even good if you talk a little bit less better than normally. Yeah? But she says like immediately when people are in the setting, they start perform. And that might be also something that happening during the during the interviews. Yeah, they don't want to look uh, stupid. They don't want to look like they don't that they don't know something. Yeah. So your job is to make people as comfortable as possible, so they will be okay with saying, "I have no idea," mm -hmm. or "I just don't know." My ideal number of interviewers is two. I'm a big fan of recording interviews because yes. they can be shared with the recordings can be shared. But I think that the ideal number of interviewers is two, one interviewer and one observer note taker. Yeah, 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 indeed. Moving to the next takeaway. I've, I've got a lot, but there are just a couple that I really want to make sure that I get in. Um, there's two that I really want to make sure I get into this podcast. One is I really like some of some of the ideas he shared about prototyping. And mm. I don't agree with everything he has to say about MVP, but this is one of the things I like about it, is he represents the different points of view of, of M MVPs. There are people who have strong opinions. Marty Kagan. <laughs> there are people who have strong opinions about what an MVP is, and everybody else is just wrong. Oh, yeah. And and, and that actually kind of irks me. Mm -hmm. um, I when, when I hear someone talking about MVP, I prefer to clarify what they're thinking. Yeah. And, and uh, 
you know, there there are those who say that that if you're not making money off of your MVP, then it's it's not actually viable. You have to actually have a product out there that people are paying for to prove viability. Whereas other people say that an MVP is just the absolute cheapest way you can test your biggest risks. And if you can do that, like like for example, the um the Zappos story, you know, I, was was the initial Zappos um, product, which was just a website where people could buy shoes that Zappos didn't even have. They yeah. had to run to a shoe store to buy them and mail them to you. Was that a minimum viable product? No, because it couldn't scale, some yeah. people say. And, and and I say, if Zappos had to actually build a scalable infrastructure in order to test their idea, that's a huge amount of expense in order to address that risk. And you might call it something different, but I like the way he talks about, about the different kinds of MVPs and, and the different ways in which that term is used, even though he does express his opinion. You know, uh, one of my takeaways, uh, it's actually something that he described from Ma- Marty Kagan's book. And I didn't remember that from the book. Hmm. Yeah, I will burn. I know, I will burn. <laughs> you should have Marty Kagan's book committed to memory. I know, I know. But you know, one time I met on the interview the guy who was actually quoting both of those books. And I was thinking, okay, that's great. But I was a little bit suspicious because he never done like any of it. So I was Over-prepared just, for the interview. Yeah, he was over-prepared. <laughs> but I was also like thinking like, does he has his own thinking? You know, if he is so much focused about one approach. And then he also said that he is systems thinker. And I asked him like, okay, what does it mean? And he said, I see systems. And I said, what does it mean? I see dead people. (laughs) I see dead chickens. (laughs) And uh, sorry. And I said, okay, but what do you mean? He said like, you know, I see like big things. And I said, okay, so did you read any book about systems thinking? Do you follow any ones? And he said, no, it's just a state of mind. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) and I said, go open the church of systems. Systemic church. <laughs> and, I, and I asked him, like, okay, so what is the system then? Yeah. And I was expecting that he will say, like, you know, that this is purpose or a function, function, that there are interactions, that there are elements. And he said, boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you know, if you don't feel it, you don't know it. it it's the state of mind. And then he, and I was like, Okay. I'd hire him just to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I said like, okay, let's go back to Marty Gagan, you know. Yeah. But so before I said this story about the interview process, I said that there was one part of the Marty Kagan's book that I forgot. And it was reminded in one of the chapters, which says about the approach to assess opportunities. Mm-hmm. And again, I treat it as a very useful checklist. And you know, sometimes when we don't have a lot of time, we just evaluate like, you know, one aspect of, you know, of a new product or the future. Feels good. Feels good. Yeah, <laughs> we did something. But there's actually 10 components and mm-hmm. I just feel obliged to name them all. And I have the checklist next to me, so I'm not going to make a silly mistakes for all of the Merity Kagan's funds. Oh, okay, but this, this, do it like an auctioneer. See how fast you can get them all, all out. <sighs> okay. First, value proposition. Second, target audience. 
Third, market size. Fourth, competitive landscape. Fifth, our dif- oh, <laughs> I stumbled. Different, def- oh. differentiator. Differentiators. Differentiators. Mm-hmm. Our differentiators. Market window. Go to market strategy. Revenue strategy. Solution requirements. Go or not to go. The end. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and uh, as a start of a conversation especially when you're talking about um, opportunities which are brought to you by by a hippo. By, I, uh, by, <laughs> highest uh, yeah, yeah, high, highest paid mm-hmm. person in the room, um, or, or an executive or, or a leader or something, then, uh, then that's a great go-to validation checklist. Mm. Indeed. I'm just going to say one thing here, just because I want to get it out there, is that this is a toolkit. And so we've gone into a few different things, but I'm just going to give a quick rundown. The kind of things that you can expect to find in here is discussion of personas, empathy mapping, jobs jobs to be done, how to write problem statements, how to create product, product visions, different prioritization methods like Moscow and value and risk assessment and such, how to write good user stories using the invest framework. It's just... For for everything that a product person might need to do, there is a tool, and it's described just enough to get you started and to let you know enough about yeah. it to know whether or not it's something that you want to delve into further. And so, it, it, listening to our takeaways, you might you might not get that, but that's really what this book is: is it's it's a comprehensive toolkit for one particular mm-hmm. product manager. 